you'll see that the first word of verse 25 is therefore now, therefore it means that we have to look back to what came before to understand how this fits in now the passage before as we saw last week is about possessions treasures on earth and this week the therefore takes us to issues of worry and anxiety Jesus knows that worldly wealth often comes in a package deal with worry. Pursuit of things in this life often shackles us to anxiety. Jesus knows these two things come together. If we were to read in chapter 13, some of you will have heard the parable of the sower. Jesus describes the third seed like this. He says, But the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the words, but the worries of this life And the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. See the two things linked again? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And what do they do? They choke us into unfruitfulness. So we need to hear what Jesus has to say to us this week. Let's read verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says to us this morning, I know something about you. I know that you worry. Let's take time to name some of our worries. They often come across as endless and infinite, don't they? But actually the, the process of naming them, of bringing them to mind, reminds us that they are specific and finite. So bring, bring worries to mind. What are they? Uh, they could be anything from the job interview coming up. It could be your daughter's health. It could be your husband's diagnosis. It could be your English exam tomorrow. It could be that impending redundancy. It could be life as a single mum. It could be coping with bereavement. It could be the worry, will I get Alzheimer's? It could be, will my children come to faith? Will I ever get married? How will I die? Name your worry. What is it? What are they? And we're going to come back to these, so keep them here. But as we name our worries, in this passage, Jesus actually names warriors. 
That's warriors as in we worry, not warriors. Uh, Jesus names warriors. Look at the end of verse 30. He, he gives us a title. He says, O you of little faith. He, he, he identifies the root cause of our anxiety as unbelief. He says, let's get past the circumstances and the presenting issues and identify that actually the root of why we fear and worry is a lack of faith. Now let me illustrate this to help us understand. You can eclipse the sun from your sight with anything as big as the moon or as small as a penny. So I can take a 1p piece and if I hold it in the correct position, I can actually eclipse the sun from my sight. Now, it is still there. I still gain from its life-giving energy and its uh, heat and everything, its light. But momentarily, it is eclipsed from my view. Jesus says worry stems from a circumstance that eclipses God from our faith sight. Worry comes when a circumstance, whether as small as a penny, how do I look, to as big as the moon, my husband's just got cancer. And he says worry comes when that situation, that circumstance, eclipses, comes between our faith and our Father. He's not saying, oh, you have no faith. We still receive God's blessing and his goodness and his grace. But from our perspective, he is eclipsed from our sight. And so rather than a faith in our Father, our eyes and our attention and our energy and our emotions are consumed with whatever that circumstance is, whatever you have called to mind. The great thing about this morning is Jesus from the pages of Scripture, sitting on a hillside, speaks to you and says, do not worry. And his desire this morning is that he would regain our line of sight, that he would bring that penny or that moon into its right orbit and right position so that our faith might again see our Father. So we're going to see four things this morning where Jesus addresses us, little faiths, and says, little faith, look at your father. He's going to do it four times. And in each, search, in each of the four things, we're going to learn something about ourselves, and then come to learn something about our father. You with me? Great. Let's read in verse 25, our first thing. Little faith, look at your father, he feeds Let's read these verses again. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Look at the birds. Who would have thought that ornithology was the answer to your worry? Go and buy a budgie. It's not what he's saying. He's taking us to the birds because he wants to teach us first something about ourselves and then he wants to regain our line of sight with our Father. So let me show you three quick things about yourself from these verses. Number one, verse 25, your life is more than food and clothes. 
Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? The pursuit of these things would be justified if your life was summed up only by the physical existence. But Matthew's sermon, or Jesus' sermon in Matthew's gospel has already told us, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your life is not just about food and clothing. It is more than that. Second thing about you, you are much more valuable than birds. Verse 26. It's great news this morning. You might not have come to church expecting to hear this. You're more precious than a pigeon, Jesus says. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is referring back to the creation account in Genesis where after the animals are created as the pinnacle and climax of God's creation, he creates man and woman made in his image. They have a value, a worth greater than any other animal. They are made to have dominion over the animals and the birds. Made for relationship with God to image him in the world. And so Jesus can legitimately say, are you not much more valuable than a bird? Now if you come from a worldview that is atheistic, that is without God, you struggle to make that statement. How can you have worth more than a bird if you are in the same evolutionary process? The Bible would not let you hold that view. It says you are not reduced to the level of an animal, but you are more precious than that. Third thing we learn about ourselves, verse 27, your worry is impotent. Do you see that? Worry cannot add a month or a week or a day or an hour or a minute or a second onto your life. It's a very pragmatic argument from the lips of Jesus. Worry is useless. Your existence is not in the sweaty hands of your own worry, but the powerful hands of the Creator God. Your worry can do nothing. Three things we learn about ourselves. But why does He tell us these things? Because He wants us to make us look at our Father, something about your father, he feeds. Look in the uh, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Look how he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If God in his care for a bird feeds it, and you are much more valuable than a bird, oh, little faith, look at your father. He feeds. He is a powerful provider. He is a compassionate carer. Little faith, take your eyes off the 1P coin and regain that line of sight with your father. Yes, he will feed us physically. Um, Remember, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Yes, he will provide for us spiritually. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. Little faith, remember, great is your reward in heaven. He says, little faith, do not worry. Little faith, look at your father. 
he feeds. Now as you look at him, you cannot help but see his son, who himself is called the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And yet when he comes to earth, Matthew's narrative has already told us, the spirit led him into the desert for 40 days. And he fasted and was hungry. Amazing, isn't it? The powerful provider himself becomes hungry. Little faith, look at your father, he feeds. Second thing, little faith, look at your father, he clothes. Let's read from verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So not only has he said you're more precious than a pigeon, he goes on to take us to, work, to flowers, to lilies, to grass. Botany is the answer to your worry. Well, no, he takes us to plants again to tell us something about ourselves and then something about our Father. Let me tell you about you. You are much more important than a flower. Do you see that in verse 30? Will he not much more clothe you? You're more precious than a pigeon. You are more precious than a poppy. The Old Testament has much for us to learn from flowers. It speaks of them both in terms of their beauty, but also in terms of their momentariness, their fleetingness. They are here today and gone tomorrow. Again, if you're not a Christian, that is an important lesson that you need to learn from God's words. He would have you here. All men and women are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. We are here today, and we are gone tomorrow. Your life is not just determined by the temporary, but you must understand it in light of eternity. Another thing we learn about ourselves from these verses, if we are Christians, is that secondly, we have been saved from fire. Do you see the language of fire in verse 30? Look, he clothes the grass of the field which are here today. Tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Now that fire language in Matthew is quite common. He'll use it as a picture of hell. It is reserved in Matthew's gospel for the unfruitful, for the angry, for those who cause others to sin, for the wicked, for the demonic, and for those who lack compassion. Why does he use this language about flowers? Why doesn't he just say they're here today and then they're gone tomorrow? Why does he say they are here today and tomorrow they are thrown into the fire? I think he wants to remind those of us when we go through these periods of little faith, listen, you do not need to worry about your eternity. You have been saved from fire. There is an eternal beyond the temporal. And for those who are in rebellion against God, it is described as fire. And yet great news that Jesus in chapter 1 of Matthew is named Jesus because his name means he will save them from their sin. It's great that in Matthew's gospel so far, he has been the one who has 
entered into temptation, yet has remained faithful. He has entered the ring with Satan and triumphed. And he will walk to a cross. He will descend to a grave and yet be victorious. Why? To save me from the fires of hell that I deserve. Little faith, you need not fear your eternity. So little faith, see your father, he clothes. We see here the extravagance of God. For something as fleeting as a flower, he pours his artistic energy into it just for a day. And if you are much more valuable than a flower, how much more will he care, provide, clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. See your father extravagant in his care, but also wonderful in not only caring for us when we're more valuable than flowers, but saving us from the eternal fire. Again, as you remove that penny or move that moon and see the father, you can't help but see his son. We've seen he steps onto the scene of human history and is hungry, but we read later on in the Gospels, as he goes to the cross, we read, and they stripped him and divided his garments among them. Not only would he face starvation, but he would be stripped naked, his clothes taken from him. Little faith, see your father, he feeds, he clothes. Thirdly, little faith, look at your father, he knows. Let's read verse 31. So, Jesus says, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's taken us to a pigeon, he's taken us to a poppy. He now takes us to pagans. Uh, That is, those who are idolaters, those who are outside Christ. I think the tone so far in this passage in the first two things has very much been an arm around the shoulder. Don't worry. I think here the tone changes slightly to a mild rebuke. He says, do not worry, for the pagans run after these things. The world is defined by these three cares. They are running after these worries. Something about you. You are not to be like that. If the world is running after these things, you're to be running in the other direction. The world has everything to worry about. They're as fleeting as a flower and they're ignorant of the fire. They are no more valuable than a bird and with no prospect of a provider. You're not like that. You have a father who feeds, who clothes, who knows. There ought to be a distinctiveness in the way we face these circumstances. So these worries that we named at the beginning, bring one to mind. And as we have it here in our line of sight, see your father who knows. It takes us back to, remember when we looked at the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago, do not be like them, again referring to the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. As this circumstance comes into your line of sight, threatening to eclipse the Father, 
are you showing a distinctiveness from the world around you? A distinctiveness from the person who lives next door, or the person who works opposite, or the person in the team that shows you have a father that they do not know. Now, if we're thinking, and I hope we are, there's a legitimate objection which should be raised at this point. Because if you're thinking, okay, you're telling me he is both powerful and he cares. If you're telling me he feeds and he clothes and he knows, well, why are Christians across the world dying of starvation? You know, if he feeds, why is there famine? If he clothes, why are there Christians dying for lack of resources? It's a tough question. How do we relate to that, to this passage? He is powerful, he cares, and yet for some reason, there are Christians who are suffering. Well, let me just say two quick things to begin a conversation and move towards an answer. First thing, it is too small an earthly a view of God's provision to limit it to physical things. If we've seen that your life is more than food and clothes, if we've seen that man does not live on bread alone, then it's too small a view of God's provision to limit it to what we can see and receive here and now. If you think of the Beatitudes... And then you think of a Christian sat in heaven, having inherited the earth, having received his rewards, and seeing God. Will that Christian believer in heaven say, God doesn't provide and he doesn't care? And no. But he will attest to God's glorious provision in eternity. But a second thing to add Each day will have its own trouble. Verse 34 is clear about that. Each day will have enough trouble of its own. But trouble trouble today does not mean that God doesn't care. Let me take you to what is the center point of Christianity. A day of trouble. A day of immense suffering. The day when God's own son is naked hanging upon a cross. Is that beyond God's care? Is that out with God's power? No, we would say that that suffering, that day of trouble, comes within the orbit of both God's power and his care. It is the day of God's greatest provision for those of us who are Christians. Now, if that day of trouble can fall within the realms of God's power and care, then so too can my cancer, my bereavement, my redundancy, my worries. Do you see? The day of trouble is not out with God's control. He feeds, he clothes, and he knows. And so we come to our fourth thing that Jesus tells us to see little faith, seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness. Little faith, seek first. Let's read from verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We've seen that worry stems from focusing on something else rather than focusing on God. To use the language of the passage, it's to consider something more important. It is to run after something else. It is to seek something else. So what is the worrier to do when this circumstance comes onto their horizon? One writer helpfully comments, the way to deal with worry is to be overtaken by something more important than the object of our worries. That is to say, what I'm currently seeking first needs to be demoted so that I seek it second. I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does this reveal about ourselves? Primarily, we are not king. It is not our kingdom. I think it's true that a lot of the things that we worry about are things that are out with our control. Here's the wonderfully freeing thing. That if I'm not king and it's not my kingdom, I don't need to be. Because what does this tell us about God? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He is king. It is his kingdom. And he is in control. I think there's a deliberate contrast between God as king and tomorrow. Do you see in verse 34? For tomorrow will worry about itself. I think he's personifying tomorrow. Have you met? Have you met tomorrow? And he comes in, he's a quivering wreck. His palms are sweaty, he's panic attacking. He's just an absolute nightmare, scared of everything. Ah! Tomorrow, have you met him? How different to your king. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Your king is in complete control. We take our cue from the king and he is not fretting about anything. He is king and it is his kingdom. Therefore, little faith, See your father and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? So bring, bring again to mind a worry, one of those worries that you named at the beginning. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom when that worry threatens to come between my faith and the father? Well, I think first it's to say, consciously to ask who is ruling in this situation my circumstance or my king it's to consciously say in that moment of worry who am I bowing to in this situation this circumstance or my king so what is determining my emotions and my behavior is not this but it is my king I am bowing to him to use the language of the Lord's Prayer, to seek first his kingdom in worry is to say your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, in this situation as it is in heaven. Seek first his kingdom. You're king and I'm going to bow to you. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? When this worry comes on our line of sight, threatening to become between faith and Father. What does it mean to seek his righteousness? Well, again, it's to make that conscious decision to say, 
I'm not going to allow this to choke me into unfruitfulness. Remember the language of the parable of the sower? This worry is not going to choke me into unfruitfulness so that I become bitter and start telling lies or start moving towards impurity or selfishness. But rather, as this comes on the scene, I'm going to seek to bear the fruit of righteousness. That from the inside out, I'm going to seek to love and be truthful and pursue purity and to be selfless. It's to pray the Lord's Prayer again, isn't it? So that we say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Seek first his kingdom. He's king. I'm bowing to you. And to seek his righteousness. I don't want to be choked into unfruitfulness. But I want to walk in the fruit of righteousness. So when worry comes on our horizon. And it threatens to impinge on our view of the Father. Jesus calls us to attention and says, Little faith, do not worry. Do not worry. But see your father and seek first his kingdom. He promises great things in his words. He asks us, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so our response is to be like the psalmist. Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Let's pray.